0: What's up, Epic Life? How are you guys? It's a great night to be here. I'm sharing um, a new message tonight. I've been sharing a a couple different series of of messages and topics on radical transformation. And it's been reflecting on my own transformation. What were the things that made me transform the greatest? And I'm going to share tonight probably my favorite story in the New Testament. And I'm sharing about the life of Peter. As you know, Peter had the distinct honor of being called Satan by Jesus, which was awesome. He said, get behind me, Satan. He had the distinct honor of denying Jesus three times. He had the distinct honor of fleeing after the cross. And yet, in the book of Acts, we find this man who's a coward, who got rebuked, who said some crazy things, stand up and become an awesome, amazing man of God. So I'm going to share tonight from the book of Acts 3 and 4, and instead of just like summarizing it and giving you a whole bunch of points, I'm going to read it with you, and I'm going to stop us, and I'm going to show you like you have to see this. So um, it's going to be a little different flow than my usual night, but I just love this story. I just want to show you what strikes my heart as I think about these individuals and how they lived a radical, amazing life, and they just were truly unstoppable and how we can learn from them. You guys Ready? So Acts chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms for those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. he says, we've been meeting at church for weeks, and we planned this ministry outreach to come serve the homeless. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, I've been planning to come here. I didn't say, I've been predicting this this day. He, He didn't come part of an outreach team for the homeless. He was spontaneously moving with God. At this moment, we'll see that after this 5,000 people came to Christ, and he was just on his way to the temple to pray, and suddenly, I want you to notice that the spontaneous move of God, the opportunity for the spontaneous move of God happened, and he responded. Two ordinary guys on their regular activities stopped and noticed what God might want to do in the moment. So the first principle we can learn from this is that Peter, John, and even Jesus, in order to help capture the move of God, you have to be this. You have to be responsive instead of intentional. This is so key. You have to be responsive instead of intentional. The single way, if you want to participate in the spontaneous move of God, is to not be intentional, not to have lots of plans, not to have lots of anticipation. It's to actually be responsive. Jesus, when we think about him, he didn't like plan these big outreaches and crusades. He wasn't like, I'm going to meet over here in about five weeks and I'll see you there. It's amazing when you see Jesus perform miracles, he responded to the opportunities that came to him. And I really believe that great moves of God are usually missed because people are trying to be intentional instead of being responsive. Intentionality, in many senses, is what happens when we want to have what we want to have happen. We plan it out. We have a picture of things, and so we want to be very intentional, but that's not as good as being responsive. Responsive is saying, I have the time now. I have the ability to react now. I have the time right now to minister to you. It'd be like someone come up to me and be like, hey, I need to know the gospel. Can you tell me about this man named Jesus? Me like, you know what, man? I didn't, I didn't come prepared today. I, like, I didn't have my study. Stay there. Give me, like, three days to study and soak, and I'll come back, and I'll give you a sermon. It's like, no, you got to take it, that opportunity right there. And here's why this is convicting to me. I don't know about you, but for years, the only exchange that I had with the homeless was when I was going to serve the homeless with the church, My only interactions for the longest time with the homeless were those when I was participating in a homeless outreach. Now, how many know that um, unless there's a homeless outreach, the homeless don't exist, that they just, like, they vanish? No, they're still there. They're still every single day. There's a need there. But I customized my need because I want to be intentional. I want us to be practical. I want us to have a plan. And so I made my homeless exchanges times when it was contained and predictable, and there was an exit time when it ended. And I vowed to Jesus, like, I'm not going to bypass these moment-by-moment opportunities. If you're homeless and you pass me on the way to my Subway sandwich that cost me $5, I'm going to offer you a sandwich. Why? It's because I don't want to be intentional. I want to be responsive. It takes $5 to be responsive to someone and to give them a meal and just have a short exchange with somebody. And that human notice of who you are, that you are someone who's actually loved by God, that, you, that people like us care for you. We're not here to make you a project, we're here to live life with you. And so Peter, as he's there, he's just responding to what God would have happen in the moment. And so my vision for ministry needs to be expanded upon a Thursday night, but, time, but beyond a time when I'm like predicting and anticipating, it needs to be in the real time. It needs to be moment by moment. Let's keep reading verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8. And he began to invite them to his attention, expecting to receive something from them. That's the bigger. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk and seizing him by the right hand. He raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Notice how simple and fast that declaration for healing was. It wasn't like, man, we're going to get a bunch of people. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're all going to lay hands. We're going to spend four hours in a tiny room. It's going to be hot. Isn't that how, like, all prayer meetings go? Like, let's pray. No, let's not. Please, No. He he came and he just declared, like, Jesus heals you, stand up. Notice the beggar didn't ask to be healed. He's like, I want money. Oh, I can walk now, cool. He wasn't even expecting it. How many times do we customize our ministry based upon what we think they need versus what God wants them to have? What stands out most to me about Peter's healing this man is the absolute absence of doubt. The total absence of doubt is present here. He just declares, he says, in the name of Jesus, walk. He didn't say, as my favorite was, if it's God's will, would you heal him? Anybody else guilty of that? You pray for someone, and, and you're praying, but you're praying, like, all these prayers with disclaimers. Jesus, do this, but even if you don't, it's fine. And we'd, like, go down this, like, you know backdoor clause, like plan B. We always play for the plan B. I don't know about you, but that was my way of, like, I'm going to pray for every outcome so that no matter what happens in you, God was faithful and he came through. That was the way I did it. Peter didn't have the thought of what wouldn't happen. He wasn't thinking about what wouldn't happen. And so that's the second thing is to be utterly unafraid of Failure. Be unafraid of failure. If you want to be a powerful, radical, unstoppable force in the kingdom, you have to be unafraid of failure. So much time we spend thinking about what won't happen instead of what will happen. This is a big challenge for my faith because I I like to live in the practical. I love the supernatural, but I'm I'm just pulled by, like, man, I, I have a hard time with this. And so, like, to take authority over my doubt, my unbelief, is an incredibly hard challenge. I don't know if it's for you. And so we make decisions out of, but what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? And we customize our prayers, our beliefs around that. And I'm actually a fan of of, um, worst-case scenarios. I'm actually like, hey, you want to start a business? What's the worst thing that can happen? You can have your same job. I like to think about those ways, but I don't think that's an act of faith. That's an act of practical nature, maybe. There's wisdom in that. But that's a really crappy way to have faith, because when you think of like, what's the worst thing going to happen, I pray for them that they don't get healed, that's actually riddled with unbelief. It shouldn't even be part of the question, it should be, what happens if we pray with them? What happens if God radically moves and touches them? And so God was just laying in my heart, which is harder for me to do? Or which is harder? For God to heal someone or for me to actually pray without doubt? You notice that the faith mentioned is the size of a mustard seed. It takes very little faith. I believe the greater effort is to eliminate doubt. It's not even entertain doubt. Let's keep reading Acts one through four, one through six. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came out to him, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, not to pray with them, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Remember the spontaneous, unafraid outcome produced a salvation set of 5,000 people. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, uh, I think that's right, Annas and the high priest was there, and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent, all the heavy hitters, basically. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? By what power or in what name have you done this? The third thing we can learn from these people is to anticipate jealousy and drama. If you want to be an unstoppable force in the kingdom, if you want to do something radical in your life, you need to know that jealousy and drama are going to actually come with the territory. I actually looked up this passage in the Greek, you know what it says? Haters going to hate. It was the weirdest thing. No, it doesn't say that. But that's what it's meaning. It basically is like, if you, any good thing you do, you can actually predict, anticipate that someone's not going to be happy about it. We live in such a society that jealousy, and we want to, and and here's the thing, is that our society, we want to see people raised up, we want to elevate, but we kind of want to see them fall, don't we? Yes, do this. Did you hear Justin Bieber got busted for pot? You know, like, we're all about, like, thriving on the jealousy and to see people fall. And so it comes with a territory as you thrive. There's a mindset here called the crab mentality. Anybody know this? That if you go fishing for a crab, I don't know why you would, but if you do, you don't need to take a net or a closed cooler. You just need to take a bucket, and you catch the crab, and you put them in the bucket, And you don't need to worry about them escaping. Why? As one begins to elevate, the others pull them down. It's called the crab mentality. It basically says, if I can't have it, neither can you. And so here with the rulers and the authority, we're seeing, wow, a huge, crazy miracle. And they get all bent out of shape. I put you in jail. I need to know if you are doing this and I can't, then I need to punish you. I need to be in control. So anticipate you doing something great is actually going to make someone feel insecure. I actually am hiring a programmer right now, and he called me yesterday, and he's uh, down south, and, and so we, I've been working on hiring this guy literally for 10 years. He's my old college roommate. And um, so finally, like, after 10 years of begging him, like, for us to do something, I finally, like, we're going to do it. And so he called me, and, and, and so he's feeling so stressed out because his boss is, like, freaking out on him. Like, you can't leave. You can't do this. You can't go, and doing something good is always gonna produce someone who doesn't want you to do it. Even though it's a far better thing, for, it's accomplishing his dreams that he wants at this point. That resistance to please people, like someone is, someone is unhappy with me, is the ceiling on your potential. It's gonna just drive you, it's gonna keep you fearful from ever doing the, the I need everyone to be happy with me. I'm a, a recovering people pleaser. I wanted everyone to be happy with me. I was like all about maintaining everybody's opinion, even lying, like they only know that part and they know that part and we're cool. You know, like I was all about that, but trying to please everyone is just this treadmill that you will never ever accomplish anything. The most successful people I know also have the most critical critics. You can't please everybody and do amazing things. And so doing something significant is gonna attract drama. The best way I like to say it is that light attracts bugs. Just think about that. Light attracts bugs. Let's keep reading. Verses 8 and 12 in chapter 4. By what power or in what name have you done this, the ruler said. And then Peter filled the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for benefit done to a sick man, As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders by which became the chief cornerstone." And there is a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is asked a one-word question. He's like, what power did you invoke to do that? And he gave a sermon. He found the opportunity. He was before the rulers, and he was asked a very basic question. And he did something very powerful. This is number four. It's to seize upon every opportunity. As opportunities come up, as they present themselves, you have to just walk right into them. You have to take the time and take the moment captive to your advantage. If you want to be an unstoppable force in the kingdom, you have to be unafraid of failure. You have to be spontaneous. You have to be responsive. You have to have all these things. But when the opportunity comes, you need to just walk through it. He's like, you ask me a question, I'm going to give you a sermon. He could have just been all fear-based and just try to escape through it and just try to eliminate the, eliminate the examination. But he took the bold step. And when the opportunity presents itself, you need to strike. Peter was completely unafraid of the opportunity. Sometimes opportunity scares us because we're kind of scared about what would happen to us if we succeed. Failure is a big fear, but oftentimes I think What if it works is also another scary place. Sometimes it's better to stay the same than to be better. But these opportunities, they come up, you need to expect it, and you need to know that as the opportunity comes, I might not be the best at it, but I'm going to walk into that opportunity. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were, check this out, uneducated and untrained men, A little slam there. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Did you catch that? Uneducated and untrained. Let me ask you a question. How much in your life are you not doing because you don't think you have the training or qualifications for it? There is limitless things that are in your life that you say, no, I don't have the training the qualifications for I'm in software, I build software programs. I don't know a lick of code how to build software. But you know what? I just like was around it. And I learned like there's a whole bunch of smart people that are infinitely smarter than me. And I can be friends with them. And I can ask like very general questions. Hey, if this needed to do that, do you know how that would work? And yeah, I know how it would work. Oh, perfect, cool. And I do that about a million times over. And so now I have this like you know, encompassing kind of knowledge of how things work, but I still don't know how to code. And yet I have a software company. And I, I never would have ever found myself jumping into it because I was like, I, didn't, I don't have a computer science degree. I would have completely eliminated my own position based upon my fears of what I don't know and what I'm not qualified for. I actually have no business to be in the position I am. But because we want to live to our potential, not to our capability, you must disassociate aspirations from qualifications. That's number five tonight. I might say four. Disassociate aspirations from qualifications. If you want to be an unstoppable force in the kingdom, you need to disassociate you being qualified for what you aspire to. The single qualifier for you is that you've been with Jesus that's it. Now, that may entail, I'm not trying to say don't go get training, don't do those things. I'm just saying don't let that take you out of the running before you begin. There's always a million reasons not to, to, not to do something. And usually it starts with I'm not trained, I'm not you know, qualified, I don't do this. And, and so I want people to look at me with, with my long list of, of credentials, <clears throat> which I, I have none, I have zero credential. I graduated from undergrad and it took me about four years to get my degree because I had a transfer credit issue. I didn't even care. I was like, I don't need the diploma. And um, I got righted out because our alumni called Camille for a donation to our college. and like, yeah, I see that you graduated in '03. And she's like, yeah, and my husband. And she's like, ah, he doesn't show that he graduated actually. Busted. So I got busted, like, I think five years into post-school. I was like, oops, you know. And so I've gone my entire way. Like, if you know me, there's a, 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 let me say this the right way. I actually firmly believe in fake it till you make it. Not in a legal sense, but I believe that we need to live in such a way that we live to our potential, not to our limitation. When I was starting a business, if you only sell what you can do, you will go out of business very soon and very fast. There's a part of business where you have to be on the edge and be able to sell the next two feet in front of you that you've never done before. And that part is the, the two-inch gradual process that leads you into the next steps, that leads you into all these areas. I started logo design. That's all I knew how to do, just logos. And I, I, to this day, it's the worst job ever. Because people are like, I wanted to show, like, overcoming adversity in this logo. I want to show burning passion. Like, is that a hurdle in the logo? Like, what does that mean? You know, like, I can't meet these expectations. Some people know what I'm talking about. So I did that, and then I graduated to, like, some print design stuff. And then, like, hey, the World Wide Web, and let's do little website stuff. And and just, like, you, you sell just two inches in front of what you've always done that you've never done before. And on that part, you say, I I don't have the potential to, to maybe go far out there, but I can take a gamble, I can take a step forward, because I refuse to sell to my limitation, I'm going to sell to my potential. And that's where, what's the worst case scenario comes in, where I like that part. The worst case is I just return their money. Oops, sorry. Or you find someone else who can. But you need to disassociate your aspirations from your qualifications. Because people are so quickly to limit themselves based upon what they know and not what's possible. People are quickly to limit themselves based upon what they know and not what's possible. So if you're uneducated about matters you're interested in, I think that's great. I think we need to to embrace the lack of education that some of us have about some surrounding matters. My two sharpest guys the program, they don't have a lick of college experience. They don't have any formal training. And the things they produce are just like mind boggling. How'd you do this? They never were taught the boundaries. That's really interesting. There's something about training and and learning things that we actually like we learn knowledge, but also we learn boundaries. We learn what can't be done as part of the rules. And so there's something beautiful about actually not knowing what the heck you're doing, which I feel encompasses a lot of my life. I have no idea what I'm doing half the time. That I don't know what I don't know. I don't know the boundaries and limitations I should be hitting up against. And so in that regard, we need to embrace that when we say, I'm not going to let this hold me up. I'm going to actually step forward and try. And so what's interesting about them, they said they're untrained and uneducated, but they have been recognized them as being with Jesus. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like him. We're being actually transformed into his image. Check this passage out. This is 2 Corinthians 3. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. The more time you spend beholding the face of Jesus, the more you resemble his face. Live your life in such a way that people see that you've been with Jesus. Live to your potential. Let's keep going. And seeing that the man who had been healed, standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. That's the rulers. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying... What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Did you catch the very first sentence there? They had nothing to say in reply. They had nothing to say in reply. The rulers were silent as a man who's healed stood right before them. So number five is don't live for the affirmations of man. Don't live for the affirmations of man. Don't live for the satisfaction of being acknowledged and affirmed. It's such a cancer for our society and for us to have, like, you post something, like, you want it to be liked on Facebook, right? Don't you have, like, post-depression, like, oh, only four people liked it. You know, you have, like, how many people did this, you know? I got blocked on Twitter, like, on Friday, and it like, really hurt me on my feelings. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've never been blocked before. So, I it was, it was a weird thing. But we have this, like, sensation that we just, we want to be liked, we want to have affirmation, we have these, like, friend count lists that, like, give us, like, ranking and credibility, and it makes us feel good. I mean, like, we have all these systems of currency that seem to give us value based on who likes us and who affirms us and what validates us. And so, it's so tempting to seek people to acknowledge your success, there's so many relationships that I wanted to, like, prove myself. Because I went out like, straight out from college into my first business, I wanted to, like, prove myself to the world. And do you know how many people came back and said, wow, we were so wrong, you did an amazing job? Zero. Not a one. And I learned that that's a really crappy motivator. Like, I want people to, like, tell me that I'm really good, or that I did a good job, or that I didn't put... You know, my wife on welfare, that feels really good. You know, like that's not at all the right motivation. The motivation is to do things because they're worth pursuing, because we call ourselves to do great things, not because people stand up and applaud and golf clap us. Bill Johnson said it great with this. He says, if you don't live for the praise of men, you won't die by their criticism." If you don't live for the praise of men, you won't die by their criticism. The last part is this in verse 17. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter, John, answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. For when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on the account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what happened. Here we see the rulers and authorities threaten and attempt to control the lives of the disciples. They use manipulation by threatening them to get their way over them. The final thing is this, is be in control and direction. Be in control of the direction of your life. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not controlling others, not others controlling you. You are in charge of you. You're in charge of your own future. And if you surrender control over your life to someone else, you may not like what they decide for your life to do with it. You need to know that you have a powerful decision to make. Even like my old roommate who's joining us, like we talked to them afterwards. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just want him to like me. I don't want to burn bridges. I don't want this. You are in control of your life. If you want to go do this, you need to go do it. If you don't, that's fine. If you were to say it to us, that's fine. But you are in charge. You are the only person who has utter and total control over the future of your life with your decisions. It's you. But one of the insatiable desires we have is to control others. When people don't like what, or when we don't like what other people do, sometimes it's like, I'm going to make you do that or I'm going to punish you for doing that. I won't be your friend anymore. I remember I was so terrified of a young friend who would, who would tell me that he... I, I, got, I, I played knockout, like, on third-grade basketball courts, and I got him out, right? And he like, I'm never going to be your friend again, and it, like, destroyed me. It's like, that was harsh, you know? And it's like, perpetually afraid. Like, that was my little stone, like, rejection was the, was the manipulation to control me. And so there will be people who want control over you. They will use manipulation, fear, and punishment to get you to comply. The disciples knew that they were torn between earthly authority and what was right before God. Now, we're to honor and to respect authority. You notice that John and Peter, they spoke in honoring ways to the rulers of authority. They were like, I'm going to call down lightning over your head. You know, get ready for the wrath of God is upon you. Like They, they honored them. They said, Whether it is right for us to obey you or God, you be the judge, but we cannot be silent for what we've seen and heard. And sometimes we're put into positions of choosing people or choosing God. That inertia, remember, of, of pleasing people, it's this force that keeps you limited but also is a mechanism to control you. I need this person to like me. And they threaten to not like you. It doesn't feel like control, but it is. Camille and I have made many decisions that have been very unpopular. And those are very difficult things to endure because we want people to like us. We want people to think that we're making good decisions. And when they disagree with us, it's hard. We have to say, are we going to listen to God or are we going to listen to man? Who are we going to please and who are we going to obey? This is the last scripture. Galatians 1.10. This is probably the very first passage I ever memorized. It says, am I trying to please God Or man if I'm trying to please man I'm not a servant of Christ any circumstance where you're trying to please people you remove yourself from being the servant of Christ in that moment you can't do that you cannot serve man and serve God you cannot please both he says in fact if I'm trying to people please I'm not a servant of Christ And so this is the radical blueprint. If you want to be an unstoppable force in the kingdom, if you want to live radically and intentionally in your life, you need to be responsive to the spontaneous ministry of God. You need to be utterly unafraid of failure. You need to anticipate drama and jealousy. You need to see opportunity and seize it when it comes. You need to disassociate your aspirations from your qualifications. You need to not live for the... Affirmations of man, and you need to be in control over the direction of your life. I love this story. How about you guys? Let's go. So, um, let me close with this. Uh, I'm going to pray and and have the worship team come back up, and we're going to minister for probably another song. Um, I'm about to take uh, a little time off just to go rejuvenate and recharge with the family. But there's a message that I've been working on for about two years. And I think next week's the time to share it. So I've been um, studying this topic for a really, really long time. And I'll just tell it to you, it's, it's the confusion and the paranoia, and it's the misinformation around the, the will of God. Are we free will or are we determined? Hey there. Yes, Jesus. Next week, unless something crazy happens... I'm actually going to walk you through every passage of the will of God. There's not a whole lot of them. You'll know exactly what the Bible explicitly says for the will of God, what isn't the will of God. You'll also be able to see God's rule in partnering with you with changing the world. Does he know? Is it in control? Is God in control? Yes or no? All these questions that are just vexing for our lives. What is the sovereignty of God? Can I be out of his plan? I'm going to touch all those things next week been preparing for it for a long time so it'll be next week here and then I'll take a little time off so let's all stand and let's pray Jesus we just love you so much God we love you that first you are a loving father who first loved us your first expression the first emotion you had in association with us was love it wasn't judgment it wasn't condemnation So God, we just hold on to that. We just look to you, Jesus, now to be our sole source of affirmation. Lord, we just ask for every heart here tonight that just wants to do more and to become more and to break through Jesus. We ask that you would enable us to see, God, how you took someone like Peter and inspired him to be this unstoppable force in the kingdom. What an amazing journey that man took. And Lord, we just ask that for ourselves. Lord, we just cast down our, uh, our tendency just to chase after the, the praise of men and chase after avoiding failure and, and chase after all these things that just, they don't propel us forward. And God, we just ask that you just enlighten our eyes or our mind to see. So tonight, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that needs to feel like they have the, uh, just an open road ahead of them, that it's paved for them, that it's ready for them. Lord, we just ask that they come forward and, and receive just prayer and encouragement. Lord, we want to send people off to be world changers in this place. And we thank you, Lord, that you do too. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.